Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one. Road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Dansby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves Farm System and Braves Prospects. And this is the final part of the trilogy of podcasts that we are doing covering the 2021 MLB Draft. Day 3 ended today with rounds 11 through 20. It was really nice to have a full draft class to talk about and and observe from afar. Really interesting draft, I will definitely say for sure. And before we kind of get into our general thoughts towards the end of the podcast, what we're going to be doing in this episode is going down and breaking down all 10 picks that the Braves made today. A little bit of a break uh, for, you know, sponsor considerations after uh, the round 15 pick. And to help me do so is the great Matt Powers, who's been spearheading a lot of our draft coverage this year. Matt, how are you, my man? I mean, I'm great. We got to watch the draft for the last couple of days, so it's always an exciting time of the year, my favorite time of the year. Yeah, and it's, you know, observing day three of the draft is both really kind of boring and also really interesting because essentially the way that works is it's just that's just a, a rapid fire list of names. Now, it wasn't quite as severe this year because you we're a little bit used to 11 through 40 happening on the on day three, but the draft was only 20 rounds this year. Uh, it was, uh, I think, a somewhat welcome change. I do wish there was maybe a little bit more actual coverage of the picks, you know, like as, as interesting names popped up, you know, having a little bit more analysis from those guys, but it's really hard with the pace of day three. This is like, it's just, it's every 10 seconds, 15 seconds, another pick comes out. So I can kind of understand why I just wish that if with a, a smaller truncated format, that there's at least a little bit more call, c- coverage and a little bit more analysis of it. Because again, with a lot of these guys, it's just so hard to get information on. It would be nice to kind of have some more professional insight out there amongst the media on this. But you know, at the end of the day, it is day three. Um, and, you know, day three is notable is that these are not picks that really can, that really count against the team's bonus pool unless they go over that $125,000 limit for those slots. So these are where some, both some really interesting picks can be made as well as some kind of, you know, filling out minor league depth. And I did think that we suspected that the Braves were going to try to get a lot of guys signed, uh, not do a lot of those, you know, like pick a guy and then, you know, just kind of hope that they don't, 
you know, that maybe they change their mind, they really want to go pro or have like multiple backup plans for multiple risky overslot negotiations from earlier in the draft, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Braves, as far as I can tell, only made one pick on day three that is basically a lock ninth to sign unless someone fails a physical earlier in the draft, which, you know, is, is possible. We have certainly seen a failed physical happen with the Braves when the Braves, uh, Failed the physical on Carter Stewart, their number nine overall pick. Obviously, you know, a pick that early would be uh, happening again would certainly be a disaster if they fail the physical, but there's no indication that'll happen. But they kind of make a pick of the last round uh, in Tyler Evans, who we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, is more of, and Dana Brown was very upfront about that. He's like, he was picked just in case they need to spend their money on somebody. And in that case, they went with Ty Evans uh, out of a Florida high school. So, but beyond that, these looks like all guys that are going to be in the organization. Uh, it would be a little bit surprising, I think, that they didn't come in and sign. But we'll talk a little bit about where there might be a little bit of uncertainty, if any. But the beginning of day three was, I think, the the highest ceiling pick, the most interesting pick. Certainly an overslot. I say overslot. Certainly an oversign. Uh, he's going to cost a little bit of money and a little bit of bonus pool. And the Braves decide to spend what bonus pool they had left on Adam Shoemaker, a Canadian high school left-handed pitcher, which – you know, you know me, Matt. I'm a big, you know, fan of young Canadian arms. My track record on liking those guys is uh, well documented in, in most circles. Uh, this is a guy who, uh, big, tall left-hander, mid-90s fastball, has a you know a really decent, decent to really good slider, depending on which ones you look at. You know, six six, two oh five already coming out of high school. Doesn't have a lot of mileage on that arm as a cold weather arm, so there seems like there's going to be some real projectability, uh, maybe some rawness. But if you get him in a professional environment, I'm really excited to kind of see what he can be because you know with this kind of projectability and this kind of frame, he could be re- really special. What do you think of him? First, I mean, I forget who actually made the joke, and it was months ago. But um, after Shoemake two years ago, Schuster last year, one of you guys in the chat made a joke about how we need to find someone named Shoemaker to draft this year because it just fits the pattern. And what happens? We end up getting That's, a Shoemaker. That seems like a Garrett joke to me. You know yeah, I mean? that, it, it that does seems seem, likely. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. But uh, it's a really strong pick. Uh, Obviously, he's nowhere near MLB. He's going to take multiple years to develop because it's not just his stuff that needs to develop and refine just the pitchability in general. But uh, he's a cold weather arm, so he has not really pitched at a high level against high level competition quite as much as a kid maybe from Florida high school. So he's definitely got to fill in that body first. I mean, he's. 66205 which is a big upgrade from where he was at about a year or so ago he was what 66 180 185 so uh definitely it takes some time to really get up to maybe 66 230 240 in time but uh right now he's already in the mid 90s from the left side and as he fills in that large frame you could imagine it getting into the upper 90s eventually so that's obviously promising the slider is very promising pitch. Uh, hard to really grade it out as a future plus pitch right now, but there's at least the makings of a future plus pitch in it, depending on how he fills out and how he develops the pitch over the next couple of years. So he's definitely be an interesting guy to watch. And maybe outside of Smith Schaffer, who went in the seventh round yesterday, he's among the most interesting 
projects that we took in this draft, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like the, the Braves are really kind of putting a premium on fastballs with certain characteristics, uh, fastballs they think they can get real upside on, and they seem to really love big framed pitchers. And, you know, they, you know, famously took, took a one in the first round pick this year with Ryan Kusick, and then in the 10th round, you take one, uh, who's the relief pitcher of, 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 University of Hawaii Hilo in Dylan Spain, who, you know, we haven't determined is actually related to Garrett Spain, but it would be hysterical if that was actually the case. Uh, our own Garrett Spain at Braves MILB, he got a big kick out of having a player with, a <laughs> with his last name where he could possibly get some, uh, some game used jerseys with his name on him down the line. So, you know, this, this seems to be fitting a pattern of like, there's a certain demographic of pitchers that the Braves seem to be really into in terms of how they are, can develop them and how they're choosing to kind of target with their player development. So overall, really excited about that pick. You know, we weren't sure coming into today as to how much money the Braves were going to have. We suspected they'd have at least a little bit. They were a little, a little bit under slot, and they were going to spend a little bit of money. Uh, and it seems like that, that you know, it wasn't a situation where they just came into today and all they did was, you know, draft seniors or draft guys who have, like, no leverage whatsoever. There, It seems like... It wasn't a situation where they had a ton of money left over, but they had a little bit. And where they spent, I think, the bulk of that is on Shoemaker here in round 11. And it maybe speaks to how much, you know, Tyler, you know, Tyler, Tyler Collins and Smith Shaver. We'll see what kind of number they end up being signed for. It'll be really interesting to see kind of what the bonus pools look like with this draft class because that was kind of the big intrigue going into today is kind of, you know, what, what they're going to be able to do and what they end up targeting. And I think that just from a, you know, a signability standpoint, what they ended up doing is they go big on a guy that they know they can sign and then they want to make sure that they fill up these lower minors with guys they think have real talent. And I think they did so. And another interesting guy that they end up picking in round 12 is Andrew Hoffman, the right-handed pitcher of Illinois, you know, still is probably, he's probably a reliever, but really like the change up, really like the fastball seems to be, it was pitching really well for Illinois seems to kind of have like some real movement on his breaking ball. I'm interested in him for sure. What do you think? So Illinois is one of the better, consistently better programs in the big 10. So it, that's always a good sign to get a kid from there. If you're going to go with a uh, big 10 school, uh, a guy who's been productive over his career, had his best year this year. Um, then he went out into the MLB draft league, the new draft league, and he definitely, uh, showed some promise there as well. Uh, fastball changeup are definitely his two best pitches. Uh, he has some projection on his body, which is rare for a guy from a four year college for a pitcher, but there's still something left. So it's hard to say there isn't a little bit more upside in him than that, but, uh, he's a guy that it doesn't really take a ton more for him to at least get to the big leagues, even if it's an up-and-down reliever, long reliever at some point. So for a guy like that to maybe take up a little bit with some projection, it's a worthwhile pick. Absolutely. And again, this isn't a situation where they had to spend a bunch of money to get him. They just saw a useful arm. It just seems like it's one of those picks where the Braves make uh, of college arms. And college players in general, they just find tools that they like and they find guys that they think can get to at least the upper minors relatively quickly. And then they can kind of see how that stuff plays or how a bat plays. And we've again, we've seen this over the last three or four years with the Braves. They kind of take these sort of these, you know, more ad- like long in the tooth, I guess is the best way I know to describe it, uh, players, but have had real success in college. 
guys who are basically a lot to at least make it to double A, and then after that we kind of see what happens and see how their stuff plays. Really interesting pick. I was I was a bit, I was a big fan of it. Uh, another guy who I I think that there's zero chance this guy ends up as a catcher long term. Uh, but that's uh in round thirteen they take Adam Z- uh, Zabrowski out of uh, St. John Fisher College, uh, who is currently a catcher, but he's like six three two forty. I, again, I think this is kind of more of a, you know, like a corner outfield or a first base or a DH type of guy, but this guy has big time power, was hitting absolute tanks, was one of the better hitters, uh, you know, at, at the level of college he was playing at altogether. Really kind of an exciting sort of pick. I'm not exactly sure how far he ends up getting just because with these really small college guys, the track record is really spotty at best. But when you're looking for like a big tool and you get this sort of power out of a round 13 pick, it's pretty exciting. Where are you at with him? He is small school Drew Lugbauer. I mean, if you remember, Drew Lugbauer was a catcher out of Michigan who was yep. not going to stick at catcher, um, most likely first baseman, third baseman type of player. Big power. Uh, I mean, that's what this guy is, obviously, without the Big Ten pedigree behind him. But that's the exact type of profile you have a lot more risky because he's a guy that has not faced high-level arms very much. So he's a all-or-nothing type of pick, but he's at least got a tool that is worth the all-or-nothing risk in the 13th round. And I do think he has a little bit of feel for the barrel tool, so it's not like a guy who I think is going to hit like 180 and, you know, just hit a couple tape measure home runs. I think he actually can hit a good bit too. You know, the... The the Lugbauer comp is an interesting one because Lugbauer is a guy that, you know, when he first gets drafted, he's, like, going wild. You know, we give him the name Slugbauer, the nickname when he's in rookie ball, he's just hitting, you know, hitting balls out left and right. We get really excited about him. And then when he gets to kind of that roam and he gets to, like, that high A level, he really, really struggled, uh, particularly with his hit tool. But he's hitting really well for Mississippi. So, again, it seems like that there's, you know – I don't know if the comp is necessarily perfect because I do think that like overall athleticism wise, just to my eyes, I think I like Lobauer a little bit more. I think he can do a little bit more just in the field in general than I think where Zabowski's gonna end up being. But I, I like guys that have real tools in their profile that come from small schools because, you know, again, it if they have something really going for them that's like an innate, you know, innate thing about them as a as a person and as a human being just being as strong as he is if he figures out how to really hit and if he can kind of find a niche positionally you know can be a really interesting player he's not just like a guy who's like you know like the team captain type that you know can't really this is more a greater than some of his parts type that ultimately isn't going to get anywhere there's a chance this guy ends up being something in the in the minor leagues um next up Really interesting pick, and there are a lot of fans of this guy from <laughs> from D3, and that is Caleb Durbin, uh, the shortstop from Washington University. He can run. He can hit. Power is a question. He, he hit for power where he was. I'm just not sure if that power is going to play against more advanced competitions. He can play shortstop. And the weirdest thing, and you, and you pointed this out in the chat when it originally, originally happened, and I honestly thought that when you typed this that it was a typo. Uh, I thought that you had like you know just forgotten like a like a twelve like a one for a, like twelve or something, but he struck out a total of two times in 190 plate appearances playing for Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, and if you look at his career, like when he's playing in summer leagues and he's playing you know you know earlier seasons with Washington, it's the same thing over again. Like strikes out three times, five times, four times. That's all this guy. He does not strike out at all, and he does draw walks. It's not like a 
It's not like a Williams thing where, a Williams Estadio thing where he's just constantly just like hacking at the ball and doesn't have any on base skills either. He draws walks, but he is very hard to strike out, at least at the level that he was at. Uh, I actually really, really enjoyed this pick and I think he could be a lot, he's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. What do you think about him? I have the same feelings on him. Uh, he's got a great pure hit tool, obviously very low level of competition. So there is some question about how the hit tool is going to play. Uh, but that two strikeouts and 190 plate appearances is, is ridiculous. That's hard anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that that power is real. I mean, he had 16 doubles, seven homers, two triples this year, but he never, never hit for power. I mean, including summer leagues, his, uh, home run totals last couple of years were two and one in 2019 with the summer league being the one. He had a homer in, uh, 2020, then he hit one in the summer league in 2020. This year, he was actually playing in a better summer league in the Northwoods League, which is basically the step below the Cape Cod League. So he is facing some decent competition there, not quite Cape Cod League. And he has three doubles without a homer. Uh, we're talking only 62 plate appearances, but he's also only struck out three times in those 62 plate appearances. Uh, he is hitting 302 at the 361 on base, so the hit tool... I mean, it has at least played at that level, even though the power hasn't. He runs well. Uh, he doesn't walk. I, it's hard to really say that he's not going to take walks. It, it might just be more of a thing for a, make, the ability to make contact against the pitching that he's facing where he just doesn't need to take walks because sometimes you see guys that are just so much better than their competition just not have to take walks because they can hit at such a high level. And obviously, if you're striking out two times in 190 plate appearances, there's no reason to be that patient. So uh, for a guy like that, he's interesting, and he can definitely feel he can run. Uh, he's a four-tool guy, probably maybe more of a utility type of player, but he could be an interesting pick in this part of the draft. Absolutely. If you're like, other than like the obvious candidates, if you're looking at the, this draft class, the one that I'm really going to be keep my eye, eye on, uh, is going to be Durbin, I think. I think it's just that, you know, like, what does he look like against more advanced competition? Because again, for like, it's a, again, small school, but you see real tools and you see like real upside. And, you know, this is a kid that was playing at a small school, but a really good player at a small school and he did what he was supposed to do against other players at small schools. So I, I am very interested to see what ends up happening. I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know, usual usual caveats with, like, anyone taking on day three and anyone out of a small school, like, it's very possible that this doesn't work out. But I like the Braves taking bets on guys like this. Uh, and round 13 is another guy that uh, it's a different sort of bet, I think, in Christian Robertson out of uh, the outfielder out of Stanford, where he has, like, some like real athleticism and real physicality to his game. Uh, it seems like he'll be a good defender out there in outfield in the outfield. It's a question about the hit tool again. Uh, and you know, sometimes, you know, the Braves have, have taken guys who have good hit tools, but you question about whether it's going to be an impact bat. But in Robinson's case, it's that whether or not he's actually going to be able to hit enough at all to, you know, get things working. He's certainly tried to make some progress towards that end, 
But so far, it seems like he hasn't gotten the most out of his tools, and it's going to come down to whether or not this professional environment is going to get him that development that he needs. But he has all the, the physical tools, so I, I don't know. I, I was reasonably excited about this pick. Where were you? I was very excited about getting a guy this talented this late. I mean, this guy was a, a big-time recruit for Stanford a couple of years ago. I mean, he's been there forever. Uh, got there in 2018, has been on the radar since even before that. And to be honest, he's really underwhelmed up until this year. Um, last year, his obviously, what, 13 games, he had an OPS under 500. So that's... That he he struggled in the Cape in 2019, wasn't really anything special in his freshman, true freshman and sophomore seasons at Stanford, but this year he ended up hitting 318, 398, 500, uh, hit eight homers with 12 doubles, eight for eight stealing bases. So interesting power speed guy walked the career high 26 times, uh, did cut his strikeout rate a little bit from where it was at in the past, uh, at least what he did in some different situations, but it was 46 strikeouts in uh, 226 at-bats, so the strikeout totals are large, but the tools are definitely there for him if he can just hit enough, which when you're talking about uh, what round was this? Was this the 15th round? I believe that was. Uh, You can't really ask for a better combination of tools in the 15th round unless you're talking about a guy that's going way over slot, which this obviously is not. And the risks with the Stanford bats that have been historically present are no longer the same risk. Uh, Stanford had changed their coaching staff in the last couple of years. So the hitting approach that had gone on in the program, which limited the Stanford bats in pro ball, is no longer being employed. Uh, I can't say that we've really seen much since then because it's still a fairly new change. But uh, the thing that prohibited them from really reaching pro success is gone. So that's not something that we need to worry about now with him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, that's definitely something that we, you noted like right after the pick, it's just, you know, what, you know, what does the Stanford coaching do for a guy's hit tool, particularly as a pro and his ability to be an impact bat. Uh, another school that's kind of had issues uh, in the past is like Virginia is another example. It seems that they're more interested in like trying to win college ball games involving, you know, small ball and, you know, taking advantage of the fact that defenses are bad. Uh, it's not the, it's not exactly the same thing as Stanford, but the idea is that, you know, a guy who performs well at Virginia isn't necessarily going to be the same value as a guy from another school who's just simply trying to be a good baseball player. Uh, instead, they, they kind of have a specific strategy in mind that they're trying to employ, and that has been to the detriment of guys coming out of those programs going into pro ball. Uh, Before we get to uh, round 16 through 20, we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. 
hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, Matt, we are five picks away to... uh, Talking about this 2021 MLB draft and round 16, uh, is a guy who, again, uh, a Juco arm that is an interesting arm. One of the guys that I was probably like maybe the least excited about, but you know, still an interesting pick. You know, that's Chris Anglin, the lefty out of uh, a Texas Juco, former Texas Tech commit, bit of an undersized guy. I'm, I'm fairly concerned he is a reliever, but overall, like he's got three pitches. I wonder a little bit how much it's going to play beyond being a reliever. You know, maybe they can, they find something. They seem to really like that. The Whoever the area scout is in the Texas area where Texas Tech is seems to really get a lot of picks into the Braves organization and who generally perform well. I, I, there's, you know, especially considering relative to their draft position. So I am, I do trust the talent evaluation happening here. And for around 16 pick, you know, again, this is a live arm coming from the left side out of a, out of a Juco. So it seems like that the Braves have to like him. Uh, how much do you like him? 16th round, I like him a lot. Um, he's actually a California kid who, uh, from Bakersfield, who last year was committed to Cal State Bakersfield. The pandemic happened, obviously. Scholarship spots kind of the whole situation changed across the country, so he ended up going to JUCO, uh, one of the better JUCO programs historically in the country. Had a very solid year in his first year there. Uh, three pitch mix where he is interesting. I don't really know if he's going to be able to start, especially when you factor in he's undersized, but he's got something to work with and. In the 16th round, that's really all you can ask for. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, the, for round 17, uh, the Braves go local, which, again, they weren't really particularly active on the the, the local scene this year. But, you know, this certainly is going to make some Braves fans happy. Well, I say that. They did pick the two Georgia Tech guys on round two in, in on day two. But um, Tyler Tolv, I believe is how you pronounce his name, is the catcher out of Kansas State. Seems like he's reasonably, he can reasonably hit, has a bit of power in there as well. You know, when you kind of get uh, this late and you have a, a guy that the Braves have scouted this much have had, and had an ease of scouting him when he's just right there at Kennesaw State, it's, you know, always heartening to kind of see that both from like, you know, hey, you know, it seems like the, the Braves are, if anyone's going to know if this guy is good or not, it's going to be the Braves. And when they seem to be employing a strategy, they want to get some quality and some talent and some volume, more importantly, of players into their into their system. That when you go after a catcher like this, who does seem to have some like a real a decent hit tool and some decent raw power, and can play the position pretty well for at that, I, I enjoy these sorts of picks because I think that the familiarity kind of gives me a little bit more solace that the Braves really kind of know the guy as opposed to like a guy who like you know a similar player from a similar level school in like you know Washington State or something like that. You know, just as an example, it's just that, you know, that familiarity kind of makes it like me more high on the pick because I feel like that that familiarity makes the, me feel like the Braves are more certain in that guy. Where are you with him? I like him. Uh, probably a guy who should have gone uh, just based on talent alone a little earlier. 
Uh, one thing that you did not hit on is he's actually very athletic for a catcher. He went eight yeah, to nine absolutely. stealing bases this year, five for five last year in that shortened season. He's got a little bit of power. He's got some ability to hit, although there is some swing and miss. He did post 52 strikeouts against Atlantic Sun competition, which is clearly not the SEC. So uh, he's a younger player, a little bit on the younger side, I should say. He's still not even 21 years old yet, which is definitely young for a college player in the draft this year, any year. Uh, Has some positional versatility as well. He has played, uh, at least in summer league ball, uh, second base for a game, uh, played 19 games at third base, and that Kennesaw State even played some left field so, because that athleticism is there. So uh, it's not just a catcher, even though he is a catcher, he can play all over. So if you're looking for a guy who's not going to be good enough maybe to be a starting catcher, not saying that he isn't going to be, but he has that fallback of being a versatile maybe second or third string catcher who can play elsewhere and bring some bat and athleticism. That brings us to the last three picks of the draft. I would certainly say the most, I hate to call them uninteresting, but certainly as they should be kind of like the, the, the lower profile guys in this draft class uh, around 18 is Austin Smith, right-handed pitcher out of Arizona. Uh, we were pretty, you were pretty quick to say this guy's just a reliever and you know, I couldn't agree more, uh, but I will say that getting a guy who can throw 98 in round 18 of a 20 round draft, you take that all the time. Cause that at least gives you something to work with. You know, the command is iffy, the other pitches aren't so great, but the guy can already throw 98 you know, he's going to take some work. He's not a guy that's going to like rocket to the major leagues. At least I don't think, uh, unless, you know, some, some really interesting and big things happen uh, in terms of his profile. But, you know, as a reliever, as a guy that can like work his way through the system as a round 18 pick, I, I see upside here. Uh, even if it is just as a reliever, is that kind of where you think about him? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he came from University of Arizona but he was only there for this year. He came from a Juco, so it's not like you're talking about a guy who spent a couple of years in the Pac-12. He's a guy that uh, definitely has a little bit more untapped potential just because he has not received the highest level of coaching throughout his career quite yet, but he does throw very hard. So uh, there's something to like. I mean, pure reliever does not have the command, does not have the secondary pitches, but an arm strength play in the 18th round, it's really all you can ask for. Absolutely. Uh, with round 19, the Braves uh, went somewhat local uh, over there in Birmingham from Samford University, the left-hand pitcher, uh, Sam Strickland. Uh, again, once you're going to get into these last, the, the, the bottom of the pick team, he's clearly uh, a senior sign, you know, a guy that they know that they can get bring into the organization without, and a guy that doesn't have any leverage, you know, more of a pitch ability guy is a good command, but you know, the, he also has some decent velocity. Again, 19th round, a guy that throws in the mid 90s. You know, I don't see him as a, I don't see him making a rotation or anything like that. But he throws from the left side, and as a guy with real command as a reliever that could also throw 95. I mean, that's a good place to start for me with a round 19 pick. Is that where you are? Yeah, I mean, this guy has some of the best command in the country in his career. He's thrown 255 innings, walked 51. Uh, he was actually higher regarded in the draft last year, uh, but then he had hit the worst season of his career this year. Uh, posted, what was his ERA? 5.09 with a whip of 1.49 because he gave up 11.7 hits. He 
size velocity tick up a little bit where he was able to hit 95. And I think that might have been part of the cause, uh, harnessing the new stuff, getting used to the new stuff. Uh, that might have played into how he struggled. But what he did last year, uh, 1.17 ERA and a 0.91 whip, obviously just 23 innings and four starts. But he looked good in the Cape again in 2019, four starts there only. But uh, 270 ERA and 1.2 whip in uh, those 20 innings. So it's not like his struggles with numbers this year are something that he's done consistently in his career because he has shown to be a better pitcher than that. Uh, With the command and the newfound stuff, there's a chance that you could really start to put something together in basically the final rounds of the draft. So... It's a very strong pick, and a guy that's not really going to cost all that much. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of one of those trajectory plays, right? Maybe, and like you know, what Dana Brown has said uh, at multiple points in this draft is like kind of an early detection thing, where they realize that this guy does have the ability to command pitches, and they're also seeing signs that he is trending upwards in terms of his stuff ticking up, and maybe they grab that guy before he gets too expensive. Uh, in this case, you know, he doesn't have any leverage anyway, but he's a guy that you want to make sure you get, bring in your organization because you think you can get something out of him. There's no loss uh, if you, if it doesn't work out here, but again, real upside here. And even if it is just as a reliever, he could end up being a really good one because if he's, you know, can figure out how to bring those previous command grades anywhere close to where his stuff seems to be trending, that's a really, really interesting player, particularly as a reliever, uh, from the left side. Uh, round 20. Uh, it was Ty Evans, the outfield, outfielder out of a uh, Florida high school. You know, th- this we I kind of hinted at this at the top of the show. This is a guy that we do not expect to sign whatsoever. Uh, he's he's like a like an early day two based on solely on talent. Uh, but this is a guy that Dana Brown mentioned specifically as a guy that you know if a guy fails a physical that they can throw the money that they don't need they don't spend at him to kind of bring him in to kind of have a guy to spend money on if they have to spend the money. And you know, again. A lot of tools. I know this is a guy that you really kind of know a lot more than me about and also a guy that you're excited about if he should sign, even if it's highly unlikely. So you take it away. So this might be the single most exciting pick of the draft. Uh, the tools are really interesting. You're talking about a projectable-ish uh, 6'2", 200-pound body, right-handed hitter, outfielder, former shortstop, uh, might be able to play center field, probably more of a right fielder long-term because his running figures to basically be just average. The arm is more along the average lines, so uh, you don't really have the typical center field profile. He's got a chance to have plus power in that bat. Um, Shown in the past a little bit better ability to hit than what he has shown in the last six months or so. I think he tried to sell out a little bit much for the power this spring, which is not an uncommon occurrence for a guy in his draft year trying to impress scouts, just trying to do whatever he can to raise his stock. Uh, Happens across the board with a lot of guys, so not a huge worry because there is some past track record for better hitting. But uh, the tools are all there for this kid if he doesn't sign to end up being a top two or three round pick in three years. So he's definitely a guy that you'd love to get. Don't expect to get him, but uh, there's a lot of potential in a guy with this profile. Absolutely. And that brings us all the way through the 2021 
Braves draft class. And that brings us to the point of the show where we talk about our overall impressions about the draft, what we think about, you know, the overall class, you know, where the, where the problems could lie, where the upside lies. So Matt, now we, now that we have the whole class in front of us, we know generally how the Braves strategy unfolded. What is your kind of overall grade and your overall thought on this draft class for the Braves? I'm going to go with a C plus. It was a little underwhelming. I, I understand that our first round pick has a huge fastball and upside, but I just can't get past he's a reliever in the first round. And I don't care how good of a reliever in the first round you might be. Taking a reliever in the first round is never something that I'll be able to buy in on. Uh, Schwellenbach in the second round, uh, a guy, who went exactly in the range where he belonged because he's got some ability to maybe be something, but it requires the significantly risky conversion from uh, not heavily used in his career reliever into a starter. So a lot of risk there, and I was kind of hoping for a little bit more after a slightly underwhelming first-round pick. Uh, didn't happen. Uh, then a bunch of cheaper signs from there uh, before. Although I do like the Conley pick, I had somebody who has very familiar with him give him a Tommy Edmond comp if everything comes together on him, which would obviously be a positive. Uh, the two kids from Georgia Tech are kids that I like. Uh, Henry Malloy, if he can hit enough, which I think he might be able to because I really like his on-base ability. He's a northern kid who didn't really play much at Vanderbilt and uh, ended up doing very well in his season at Tech, but he hasn't played that much in college and came from a cold-weather area. So I think there's a little bit more with him. Uh, I love the two high school picks yesterday. Um, it, it, it's an interesting draft, but it, it just doesn't overwhelm. I think they could have done more with the bonus pool earlier. Uh, I mean, I like the picks on day two for the most part. I love the day three picks because that's really all the money that they had available to play with, and I'm guessing they've spent all of it or nearly all of it, so you can't really ask for more on day three, but the early parts of the draft were a little underwhelming to me. Yeah, so this is, uh, I would say this is one of the weirder and more interesting classes that I've covered. And I've been covering draft classes since back in 2015 uh, for Talking Chop. It's a hard one for me to read, right? Because on the one hand, uh, I am I will, I am comfortably higher than you on both Kusick and Schwellenbach. I, they're not necessarily the picks I would have made. I will, I will go ahead and say that. But I am not just like completely as convinced as you are that Kusick is just going to be a reliever. Um, and that, that and I think it's important for our listeners to realize is that, you know, if, you know, Matt is just like locked in and he is a reliever, then it's worth mentioning that mo- unless you're like an absolute shutdown, lockdown reliever, that spending a top two round pick on, on a reliever is not good. If you think that that's like the, like a 95% outcome for the guy, I'm just not that high. I'm not that high in terms of that's what I think he's going to be. I, I worry that he could be. And there's a lot of risk with that pick, but I also think that you know he's the way that the Braves are phrasing it is that maybe he goes moves fast through the system, and you know is a reliever early, and then they convert him to a starter. That that conversion is not an easy one uh, if they decide to go that route. 
but I do think that he has the ability to be a starter. I think that he's putting in a lot of work to kind of get that third pitch, have that change up. And he's admitted as much in interviews after the draft. He's like, I know that to be a starter that I have to have a change up and it has to be game ready and it has to be good to go. He thinks that it's there now. He thinks that if once he's given the opportunity to show that in pro ball, he's going to be able to show that he can be a starter. And I'm, I'm not simply willing to write off a guy, especially with a scouting department that I think generally does a good job of identifying those guys and not having guys get converted to relievers straight away, particularly with big time stuff. And with that fastball that runs up to 102, you know, I'm willing to, you know, understand that the upside there is really large. In Schwellensbach's case, it's the same thing. There's a lot of risk with that pick, but there is a lot of upside. You know, that built-in athleticism from being a shortstop, I'm really curious and interested to see how that short conversion goes to him being a starter. The Braves seem hell-bent on him being a starter, and they really think they can get something out of him for it. But, you know, we also see situations where we, he was pitching multiple innings, and at times it appeared he looked a little gassed too. So, you know, how he builds up that conditioning to being a starter, you know, and it's just pitching six innings is different than, you know, playing shortstop for seven innings and then throwing an inning or two of relief. Now, I don't know how different those are, and maybe it ends up being easier conditioning-wise to do that and to be able to hold your stuff without having to play in the field as well. But we just don't know, and there's a lot of uncertainty with that. So for me, if I'm giving a grade on the whole class, that uncertainty and that risk kind of puts me at a B minus because again, when you have a like one, like a bottom five, bottom six bonus pool in the entire league, it's gonna be really hard for me to get an A because I really look at the depth of the talent in a, in a class. I want to see interesting guys on day two and day three, and I think they did a reasonable job in doing so. I like the kind of guys that they were taking on day three, considering those bonus pool uh, limitations. It seemed like that they have. I'm curious as to see how much the bonus. Uh, how much the bonus ends up being for Tyler Collins, because I wonder if the Braves would it, are paying him more than maybe I would have. I, w- I've, I have no issues with him being an overslot pick, but I wonder a little bit if that, that was a, a really expensive uh, pick going forward. You wonder a little bit about how much they end up paying Spencer Schwellenbach in the second round to get him to come to c- come into the organization. You know, what were all these bonus pool slots ultimately can help, you know, adjust the values up or down in terms of how I think the Braves did strategically in this draft. But on day two, they got a lot of really interesting players. And I think that ultimately when you get a B minus in the draft, but you still have a lot of talent and upside getting from day two and day three, even if there's a lot of risk with those first two picks, I think that they accomplished an important goal for the organization. And that is just getting more quantity of talent into the system Especially kind of, they get, you know, get some guys that you think you might have some upside. That combined with hopefully, you know, in future drafts, maybe they employ a different strategy with the international signings come up. Maybe they do things a little differently too, because they can kind of start thinking how they're going to fill out their minor league rosters a little bit differently instead of just having to solely do that from the draft. But is it, are there aspects of it that's a bit underwhelming and a little bit riskier than we would like? Sure. Absolutely. 100%. And I think that all those criticisms are fair, that there is a, there's a lot of risk in those top two guys when you really, especially for college arms, that you really want to get a little bit more certainty if you're picking those sorts of guys. But when you're picking 24 and you have those bonus pools considerations, I have a tough time being too upset about it. And, you know, again, B minus. For, I think that the talent overall is a B, but the risk involved kind of gives it a little bit of a slight downgrade. Uh, but I can easily see in two years we're going, wow, Like if, the, if the, both of those guys are starters and performing well in the minors, we're going to look back and say, wow, this could be a really, really good draft for the Braves. And I, that is kind of where I'm at with it. It's just that, you know, 
I, I am not as certain about the reliever profile as Matt is, but I can understand the concerns with that. Is the, is the short version of the story. And I will say this is, but it was kind of a fascinating draft to kind of cover just from a, you know, it seemed like a lot of the names that the Braves are connected to, you know, some of them they ended up panning out, others like they just kind of fell, fell to the white side, particularly the day two, day three guys. And, but I really like the guys they put, picked on day two and day three, and I'm going to be really interested to follow along with them in their minor league careers. Uh, Matt, before we go, is there anything else you want to share with folks? Uh, no, it's, Already time to start looking ahead to the next draft class where it's starting to look like the Braves could be returning to possibly the top 10. Uh, as of today, they are slotted at the 13th pick if the season was to end today. But with the injuries and the potential to have some sell-offs at the deadline, we could be looking at another top 10 pick, which is not something that we expected to have. So uh, this next draft class could be all that much more interesting for the Braves. Yeah, absolutely. I guarantee you that Matt's going to have like a top 200, uh, draft, pro- uh, 2022 draft class prospect ranking, you know, on his computer somewhere, uh, to, to share with us in the chat. And we'll make sure that as the week, per- you know, move towards the next draft class, we're going to have plenty of information for you covering at. That Speaking exists. Speaking of, now. yeah, well, I, well, I am not confused at all. No one, no, no one that listens to us for any appreciable amount of time is surprised either. Uh, Matt, Matt lives and dies by the draft. He loves the draft and this is, you know, his favorite time of year, and he's a wealth of information, and we really appreciate all the work he's done. Speaking of that work, if you're wanting to get caught up on the draft and all of our write-ups, all you have to do is go to TalkingChop.com. There's a Day 3 recap up right now where you can go through and look at Matt's notes um, on the, all the picks from Day 3. There are notes on the day, on day 2 as well, as well as individual write-ups on a, on a lot of the picks that were made. More of those are to come. I know that there's a write-up coming up on Adam Shoemaker for sure. And, you know, there's going to be an overall grades piece that's going to be going up. We've had articles going up regarding, you know, follow-up pieces on the the first two round picks. There's lots of content out there for you if you want to really get into a deep dive into this draft class. So make sure you go to TalkingShop.com to read all of that. Also, you can go onto this very podcast stream, and you can go to that. The last uh, three episodes that we've made have been all draft content, which because, which is the preview show, as well as our recap shows from day one and day two. There's lots of content for you to kind of get our thoughts as well as kind of get a better understanding as to what happened in this draft class and why we think things happened the way they did. We're really excited to be bringing you all this coverage, and more importantly, we're extraordinarily appreciative for all the support for the site and for the podcast over the last few days. The support's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, the site's been the site's been popping off. The podcast feed's been popping off, and we've been really enjoying this. Uh, I think I can speak for all of us at Talking Chop with Grav, Garrett, Wayne, Matt, and myself, is that we are quite tired. Uh, this is a, the the grind of the draft. Even when it's not only 20 rounds as opposed to the 40, is definitely a grind. But you guys made it rewarding for us and we really appreciate all that support it makes it all makes all the world of difference for us is that people are really asking us lots of questions seem to be really engaged want to know what's going on with this organization and their future and we just are happy and frankly thrilled to be able to bring that to you guys and so many of you trust our opinions on that so thank you all so much make sure you subscribe to the talking shop podcast on whatever preferred podcast purveyor you use uh you get this podcast as well as the flagship talking shop podcast um which is hosted by the great Brad Roland. You get the Road to Atlanta podcast, which after this week is going to get back to covering the minor leagues proper. Uh, each week where we go through each level, I host that show, and we have a nice rotating schedule of guests, including Matt, Garav, Garrett, Wayne, all of us coming here to talk about the minor leagues and have what's going on with those guys. It's going to be nice to catch up with those guys uh, after what has been a very long and busy week for us. Thank you all so much, and until next time, we'll see you on the road. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.